Hi, this is Sarah. And this is Rachel. With Stepping Forward Podcast. And we wanted to tell you about a conference that's coming up in Utah later this month, January 24th and 25th. Yes. And that will be held in Lehigh at the Young Living Auditorium. It's a step family conference. Yay. Yay. And it's meant for couples to go to. So if you are a step parent, bring your partner. Yes, but you don't have to. So if for some reason your partner can't come, you should still come and hang out with us. Yeah. Rachel and I are both going to be there and I'll have a vendor booth there for my coaching. Um, You can register and find tickets on www.stepfamilyevents.com. Yes. And uh, the speakers there are Laura Petherbridge and Ron Deal. Mm -hmm. Plus there's a few others, but those are like the highlighted speakers. And we went to a conference with Laura a couple of months ago Mm -hmm. and it was fantastic. She's great. She's been a stepmom, stepparent life coach for 25 years. Oh my gosh. And she and Ron co-wrote the book, The Smart Step Family, and they tour and do a lot of speaking. He's a licensed clinical social worker Mm -hmm. and he specializes in working with step families. So it's going to be amazing. Yes. And we super recommend that you guys come, come hang out with us. I'll be there. My husband will be there. Sarah will be there. My husband might be there. I'm not sure what his fingers probably crossed on if Saturday. We can get in there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we both have a lot of awesome friends that are going to be there. So come hang out, build your step family support system, yes. um, fill your step parent bucket. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awesome, you guys. Nice. We're excited to see you there. And again, you can get tickets at stepfamilyevents.com. Yes. Bye. Hi, and welcome back to our next episode of Stepping Forward Podcast. Today, well, I guess I should say first, I'm Rachel. I'm Sarah. (laughs) And today we actually would like to talk a little more about step parenting and children with disabilities. Um, So I guess disclaimers first. This is not legal advice. Uh, We are not lawyers. This is in no way representative of any organization that either of us works for. Um, This is based on our personal experiences. Right. So, And we have experience working in special education and with kids with disabilities and also as Mm -hmm. step-parents. And I think as step-parents of kids who have disabilities too. So (laughs) not, yeah, not as significant ones as Quinn talked about. um, Right. But but we have a lot of experience in the schools working with these kiddos. So yes. I thought it would be interesting. We thought it would be interesting to do this and kind of talk about because it's a segment of step family population that isn't really talked about that much, but right. a lot of people are working within that framework. So Right. Um, and so just as a little background reminder, I am a speech language pathologist in a public school district. And right now I am providing services for students at a middle school level, but I have worked with students from preschool to 12th grade. And I'm a school psychologist and I work with kids um, also at the middle school level right now. And at my previous district, I was um, in with kids ages three to 22. Yes. Lots of different variety there, which is fun. (laughs) Um, And then also as a kind of a delineation There are special education services for core subjects like math and English language arts. Mm -hmm. Um, Sarah and I both provide what are called related services for special education. And that means that 
our services are generally in support of those core services. Mm -hmm. However, we can still provide standalone services in speech and language or in um, counseling and guidance. Yeah. So, um, respectively. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then there are also tied in with the, the core special education. A lot of school districts now have cluster classes, yeah. um, which accommodate different levels and different types of disabilities. Mm -hmm. So I know in my school, we have three self-contained support or cluster classrooms, mm -hmm. one for kids with autism, one for kids with emotional disturbances, and then one for kids with intellectual disabilities, which used to be called mental retardation. And I um, actually really like having those class classrooms in our school mm -hmm. because I get to work with kids who are in like general education, kids who need maybe inclusion support with like one special ed and one regular ed teacher, mm -hmm. kids who are in resource, and then kids who are in a cluster or self-contained support class. So just the different levels of education and what the kids require for special education. And I like that because I get to be familiar with a lot of different kids and levels of service and where kids would be best served or like what's the most appropriate setting for them. Right. Um, and just to illustrate the differences between school districts, Sarah and I work in neighboring school districts that used to be the same school district. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> and our cluster classes are different than what Sarah just described. So we have a behavioral cluster class, mm -hmm. which it doesn't matter the classification of the student as far as special education. It, that um, being in that cluster depends more on behaviors. Mm -hmm. So there are students with emotional disturbance and disturbances in there. There are students with autism in there. Mm -hmm. There are students with other health impairments in there. And that's what our emotional disturbance cluster looks like. So yeah. I wonder if they're kind of the, still the I same. I think they still model. mirror, but yeah. they are named <laughs> like differently. Just a little, yeah. Um, and then we have. Um, our extended core cluster, which is um, more severe intellectual mm -hmm. disabilities, and our, oh, heaven help me, <laughs> accommodated core cluster, okay. which is um, still pretty severe, but not as severe. And mm -hmm. some some of those students still might push out into other classrooms. Yeah. And also, though, some in our extended core clusters do, do push well. out, but uh -huh. it's usually for electives like right. art and PE and that type Same of thing. Same for us, music maybe. So, right. Yeah. And part of my confusion on the accommodated core classroom is that we actually don't have one of those clusters in my school. Oh, uh-huh. That makes sense. <laughs> they used sense. to have two of them and then they moved those out and moved the behavioral cluster uh -huh. in. Okay. So. That makes sense. Good times. No, but, ours are called SCB clusters, which I think stands for Social Emotional Behavior Support. Okay. So that's how they kind of quantify that. Okay. And ours are called the ABS clusters, and I can't remember what it stands for. I know. Because <laughs> it's the weekend, and we don't have our work brains on. <laughs> right. Oh. And we're also recording this after our first week back after Christmas break, and wow. It was it a rough week. Exhausting, huh? <laughs> yes. My body's like, can't we just go back to bed now? I know. Huh? It's time. <laughs> so Aww. we wanted to talk today about kids with disabilities and kind of as a step parent, what to expect. We've thrown a lot, a lot around a lot of terms so far, and we're going to start defining those for you a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but as a step parent of a kiddo with disability, getting familiar with their disability that they have been either diagnosed with or educationally classified with can really help. 
Um, autism, a lot of people understand that there's autism and kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we say, if you know a kid with autism, you know a kid with autism. Yeah, just because the they one. have a lot of difference. Yes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and variation in between their skills, just like neurotypical people do. Uh-huh. <laughs> so get kind of familiar with it so you know. Um, what behaviors would be expected with that. Like I know ADHD is something that's in both of our step families, Rachel. Yes. <laughs> and so knowing that it can help us support the kids better. Right. Um, so there's a very, it's difficult to cover a lot of this subject just because there's so much variation between schools and school districts, um, even more variation between states. Yes. Um and we're only familiar with the United States as well. So um, we can't speak a lot to other countries' systems. So only parts of this will be applicable to our international listeners. Yeah. Sorry about that. But hopefully it's still helpful to you. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Um, not in terms of like the, the special ed law that require or that's govern governs United States special education services. But just in terms of step parenting these kiddos, what can you do to help them? Right. And like Sarah was saying, every child is different. And that would be reflected if we could take a look at all of the files that I have, (laughs) you know, that I'm case manager for. I think that would be reflected very obviously because we have some students who are receiving services for the vast majority of their school day, if not the entire school day and beyond, Mm -hmm. including bus rides. Mm -hmm. Um, And often some of them are also receiving services at home from state agencies. Um, All the way down to, you know, I have some students that I only see 15 minutes a week working on one sound that they have a hard time producing. Right. And that is the only service they receive and that's all they need. And when they're done with that, they'll be exited and hopefully we'll never have to get speech language services ever again. <laughs> uh huh. That's what happened with Haley. I think I told you about that. Yeah. Because when she was little, just for our listeners, she couldn't say her S's if it was followed by a consonant. Right. So instead of stars, she would say TARS. And instead of scary she would say carry and stuff like that and mm-hmm. she was in six weeks of speech and it's fine now <laughs> you awesome. wouldn't tell wow, yeah. what a little rock star she's, she's been through in six weeks high performer <laughs> <laughs> oh, she did good so good. kind of what to expect in terms of kids with disabilities is unexpected mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't know for sure how different things that are consistent with their classification or diagnosis are going to manifest. Right. For example, we know kids with autism a lot of times have social skills difficulties and also that mood disorders go along with those like anxiety and depression and um, sometimes more significant mood disorders like bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And also for a lot of kids specifically with autism, they have what are called comorbid disorders, which means they have multiple things happening. So they might have ADHD, autism, and um, bipolar or something like that. Right. But that's not uncommon for other kids too, to maybe have like ADHD and anxiety. Right. Also, just because someone has a disability does not mean that they require an IEP. Right. So IEP stands for Individualized Education Program. Mm -hmm. Some people say Individualized Education Plan. Uh Um, And that allows for those specialized services in the different areas that a student might need. And it also allows for different accommodations that allow them to access 
the general education curriculum. Uh-huh. So that is a fancy way of saying it allows them to ha- to be able to learn as well as hopefully typically developing students in their classes. Right. And be able to do the same, not the same things, but similar things to show that they're learning. Right. Um, So there may be students that have a disability that don't necessarily require specialized instruction, Mm -hmm. but they might benefit from something like being able to have a headphone in that can read test questions to them in certain subjects, right? right? That would be an accommodation that could be covered under what's called a 504 plan. Um, And that is a document that's similar to an IEP, but it's less... The biggest difference to me is that with an (laughs) IEP, a kiddo requires specialized instruction. Yes. Whether that's in an inclusion class or a self-contained class or a resource class. But on a 504 plan, the kids just need some support to get access to the curriculum. So if they have a hard time with handwriting, maybe they get a Chromebook. If they have ADHD, maybe they have shortened assignments. Right. Or maybe they have, you know, they can use a fidget toy to help them, Uh you know, keep their hands busy so they're not drumming away in class or something like that. Um, Maybe someone with ADHD might need to be able to take tests in a, a less distracting environment. Yeah. Um, whereas specialized instruction requires a teacher or um, a different another educator to create a different plan for teaching them the curriculum. Right. More individualized. Right. And there's a whole process that we go through to determine whether a kiddo needs an IEP or a 504 plan. And I know it's different from our district to your district. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I don't want to give a lot of advice for that. But I just want to say that with um, an IEP testing is required to see if the kid uh, needs special education services and um, and related services as well. Right. Which can be a lengthy process. It depends on your state again. Yes. In my district, we have 45 school days to complete the testing. Some districts have and states have 60 calendar days. Right. I believe ours is statewide 45 school days in Utah. Um, But yeah, generally between 45 and 60 days, either school or calendar Uh across the U.S. Um, Which when you look at it as school days, it can actually be several months. Yes, it can. (laughs) Especially if Christmas break is in there. (laughs) I know. And right now, for example, I'm actively testing 12 kids. Um, I have two that I have to observe and finish the report for, and then three referred kids. Mm -hmm. And it takes me quite a while to get through all the testing that I have to do. I always tell our speech path that I wish I had done that instead, because you guys don't have as much testing you have to do as we do. Yeah, I... Or is like it depends on the kid for the kid, but yeah, yeah. most of uh, if we have a kid that's just articulation, like just the speech part, yeah, it's not nearly as much. Yeah, but once uh, and even fluency, it doesn't take as long to test. But once we get into those language skills, it gets a lot more extensive. Yeah, I know for <laughs> me, I have like behavior rating scales that yeah. we have to have the parents and teachers fill out, and that's the longest part. Yeah, trying to get those completed and get oh, them back and yeah, them up, that's a so. whole. But it's good information and it's really helpful to see like where your kids and stepkids are performing on that Mm -hmm. if you do have them tested for an IEP. It's so nice. And also just not only for an IEP, you can Mm -hmm. have this testing done independently um, at a different agency if for some reason you're not wanting to involve the school district at at the point you're at. So, And a disclaimer on that, 
and kind of, you definitely can do that. It's quite a bit of money. Yeah, it's um, expensive. It's probably $1,000 and up, depending on what testing they're doing. And yeah. a lot of times in the schools, we can do the same testing, but we do it for free. So right. it really is just your preference on that. Do you want to pay and not have the school involved? Or do you want to have the school involved and do it for free? And right. what are the plus pros and cons of both of those? So for example, I know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in Texas, that there is quite a backlog and several waiting lists to get mm. kids into special education. And so for some parents, that has been a good option mm -hmm. if they can afford it to get those independent testing, that independent testing done and get those services independently and yeah. or through insurance because it's been difficult. Yes. So, and that is always an option because yeah. the school can provide a lot of things to help the kid access the general education curriculum but you, if you have outside of school concerns, you can always take your child to a counselor, to um, like ABA therapy, which I know is really expensive. And again, yeah. this isn't legal advice. I'm not recommending that you do or don't do that. Just know that that's an option for you. And you can get services, speech services, um, mm -hmm. occupational therapy services, physical therapy services for kids outside of the school setting. Yes. And there are... Um, individuals and agencies that are in private practice that yep. provide those. Um, there are also in most states and most countries, there are also medical professionals and medical um, offices that can provide that depending on your insurance, possibly through your insurance. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Okay. So that's kind of a basic overview. And then one more thing we didn't talk about in Utah, there are 13 disability categories for special education. And that basically, um, when we do an evaluation for a kid with a disability or a suspected disability, we look at the 13 possible things that they could qualify under. And those include deafness, blindness, deaf blindness, autism, other health impairments for ADHD, anxiety, depression, um, emotional disturbances, intellectual disabilities. Uh, I'm going to forget some because we don't do the rest of them very much. Multiple disabilities, orthopedic impairments. Uh -huh. What am I missing? Um, speech language impairment. Oh, yes. Thank you. A specific learning disability. Of course, I forget that one. <laughs> and um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Those are... I think that's like 11. That was 11. So okay. we're still missing so we're two. Close, but that's okay. You yeah. guys can look it up if you're interested. Yeah, oh, um, developmental delay, which oh, yeah. they can only be under until they're eight. Mm -hmm. And... There's one more. Yeah. It's, yeah. We it's don't fine. remember. But we the must not use it very often. Know, huh? <laughs> the most common ones that we see in the schools are specific learning disability, speech language impairment, autism, emotional disturbance, and intellectual disability. Yep. Or if say. in elementary or preschool settings, oh, yeah. we see a lot of developmental delay. That's true. I don't work in there, so I forget about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so those are different areas, and each area requires. Um, it may have some similarities in the assessment, but there also may be some differences. So each assessment will look different for a student based on what your concerns are for them. Yes. All right. So how does this apply to you as a step parent? <laughs> this is where things can get very tricky, uh -huh. as if they weren't already tricky right? enough with the special <laughs> education system. <laughs> or just already tricky enough being a step parent oh, that you put oh the two gosh, together. Seriously. And it's it's oh. such a compounding uh -huh. issue. So. When parents are divorced or separated and a child has a disability, whether a child gets tested or not, 
ends up being a much more complex issue than it typically is if uh, the parents are together. I agree. Um, so, for example, in most cases, a school district only needs consent from one parent mm-hmm. who has legal custody to um, initiate testing. And that can vary from district to district, yes. depending on their interpretation of state law. So yes. if you um, don't know, you can ask people at the district. Right. Um in some districts, they do want it from both parents. Mm-hmm. And in some states, I believe they require it from both parents. Okay. I'm not 100% sure on that one. I'm not either. However, if it's written into your order that someone has specific final say on education issues or legal custody issues, mm-hmm. um, that parent has to consent. Or if it's written that you have to agree both parents have to consent. Mm -hmm. So that can be the first hurdle for many people. Right. Um, And then sometimes even if you get both parents consent uh, due to different issues within schools or districts, the testing still might not happen. Right. So there's a lot that goes into that, just that one little part. Right. Once you're in a step family. <laughs> just are we going to test or not? And it's a big right. involved decision and kind of what the school recommends things and the parents request things and then try to come together and see what's most helpful for the kid. Right. And in my experience, if the testing, if there's permission from parents and the testing doesn't happen for some reason, then I think the the person in most districts, at least in Utah, that you're supposed to go to is the uh, deputy superintendent. We always request that they start at the school first, and that's in yes. the uh, parents' rights, rights of a parents. Yeah. I can't remember what the book is called right now, the gray book. Uh, procedural safeguards. Thank you so much. Yep. Okay. So that is given to parents when they request testing, when their kid is tested, when their kid is retested, which we can talk about later. Um, And basically, if you suspect or know that your kid has a disability, you have rights educationally. And so it's good to get familiar with those. Mm -hmm. Um, In my school, if we send home a consent form, we've determined that the kid needs to be tested. Same. Okay. But it might not be that way in everywhere. So I like the Well, there's (laughs) also the parent. Most places have a form that parents can fill out to request testing. Yes. um, Which can initiate the whole process. However... In step families, it tends to also initiate a lot of other things. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. So. Okay. So throughout this process, I think as a step parent, it's kind of good to know legally what your rights are. So for example, in my district, the way that they've interpreted the law is that the custodial parent with legal custody or final decision making and their partner, the non the custodial step parent, can request testing, make decisions, blah, blah, blah. The um, non-custodial parent has some input and the non-custodial step-parent, which is me, has no input or say in anything. So, which I hate when they talk about that at the start of every year because I'm like, I'm the most responsible out of all four of their parents. Right. I know the most out of all their education (laughs) and help them with their homework and that's a subject for a different day. But um, know what you can and can't do legally Mm -hmm. and within the school district. Right. And in my experience, I have no say, even when we were the custodial household. Uh Um, 
I still had no say in anything. However, because my husband had granted me certain rights within the school, I could like excuse absences and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I've never signed any legal documents for the kids. Right. Um, and I, I wouldn't presume to because of the issues that it could bring up later on. Yeah. That makes um, sense. So. And I think that's really related to your situation too. Right. Because I've signed like permission to treat for the girls at doctors when their mom wasn't able to take them kind of right. thing. So I've done that before. Well, but. And that's why I think I've been even more cautious as a step parent mm-hmm. because even as a nanny, I would sign off on that because the parents were like, yeah, you're taking them, you sign whatever. Right. So it's like, <laughs> okay, but I don't know. It just, yeah. I think in some step family situations, you have to be very cautious. Oh, totally. And it's a situation where, again, your situation and my situation are totally different. Mm-hmm. And so we can approach things different ways without causing a lot of difficulty. Right. And if there were ever issues, just as a caveat, if there were ever issues with me taking them and being stepmom, they would call mom and she would give permission over the phone. Right. So, so there... There are things that you definitely have to be careful of as a step parent. And once this process is initiated, there tend to be meetings at least a couple of times a year, uh-huh. at least <laughs> once, but um, frequently. And a lot of times um, in our step parent groups, I see, oh, well, you know, bio mom doesn't want me to come to the IEP meeting right. or she threw a fit and called the school and told them I'm not allowed to come to the meetings right. or whatever. Um, and that's a huge issue. Especially if you are the primary caretaker or one of the primary caretakers, I'll tell you right now as an educator, we want your input for that meeting. It's helpful. It's very helpful for us to develop a plan for that child. Uh-huh. Um, and also, as far as I'm aware, your spouse who has legal custody or part legal custody has the right to bring anyone to the meeting they would like mm-hmm. to. But I think there's different ways to handle that. Right. (laughs) Because sometimes we have parents request separate meetings because they are divorced and can't get along. Yeah. And we usually don't do that just because we don't have time within the school system. Um, But think about what you want to do. Is there maybe, if it's going to cause a massive issue for you to be there, what are some other ways that you could get that information to the school and talk about um, that maybe require? Posting a proposed copy of their IEP that the school develops before meetings to see what you can add in and what your input is. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, you want what's best for the kid. And if it's best for the kid that you're there, cool. And if it's not best for the kid because it causes problems either at the school or their other house, try to get creative and figure something out. Right. And there have been times where um, I know like with certain doctor's appointments or testing or different things that I've just written up a little note for me beforehand Mm -hmm. and sent that with my husband to give to the provider, just saying like, hi, I'm the stepmom. This is my perspective of what's been going on. Right. Um, And then it provides that information to the person who's trying to make decisions or provide, you know, guidance of what to do with this child or this student but it also doesn't require the conflict that might come from having right. me physically there. Yeah. Like <laughs> I know, so Haley's got a lot of medical issues, which you and I have talked about before. Yes. And we had to take her to a psychiatrist because a medication she was on for her stomach issues and a medication for anxiety could have caused heart problems. And okay. her gastroenterologist felt more comfortable with that. 
but we had to fill out a whole packet of paperwork to do yeah. that. Yeah. And I made sure and photocopied her mom on it and just said, Hey, can you have her fill this out too? Because I think it would be really helpful to get her input. Right. And in situations where you get along well, that's a great option. Yeah. Um, and if you don't get along, you can always call the school and say, um, the bio mom and the bio dad see different behaviors at home or different skills at home. Can we each have a packet of stuff to fill out for the kid? Right. And that's what we've done. We've asked the providers to send that out to uh -huh. both addresses or whatever else they do. Um, just because that has been a consistent issue in our situation where we're right. seeing certain things and bio mom is not, and it's very stressful. It is. It's incredibly <laughs> stressful for the kids, for you, for the, I mean, even for the provider when there's, when oh, I'm yeah. in an IEP meeting and there's parents who don't get along, I, I hate it because I'm like, this makes me feel like not good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I've started meetings with being like, Hey, um, we know we're a difficult family to work with. And so I'm just <laughs> upfront saying, I apologize for that. Uh, like so <laughs> it's, it's rough sometimes. I bet. Oh, and so. yeah. Yeah, so we're going to go to commercial and then we'll be right back. Only want love in this heart. Don't know it all, but it's a start. No room for hate, no room for greed, no room for anger, fear, or need. I only want love in this heart. Anything else would tear it apart. No room for envy. I have enough. 